thank you so much. Uh, thank you to the conference. I am so excited to be here. Um, I'm going to take you on a trip through um, some some definitions, some behind the scenes of how artificial and machine artificial intelligence and machine learning works. Uh, hint, hint. We're not. It's not Skynet, not yet. So it will be a hopeful talk. Hopefully you will leave being more inspired and more creative and knowing that humans are still in charge. Uh, um, so uh, my background, who am I? Who am I talking to you? I, I've been in design for some type on a spectrum for about 30 years. I started, for you younger folks, they used to have these things called newspapers. They were papers, they were roll up, and they would give you the yesterday's news. Uh, so that's where I started as a journalist. And then at 40, I decided I wanted to get a computer science degree because, you know, it didn't look that hard. And so I went back to school and got my master's in computer science with an emphasis in human-computer interaction. So people and technology my jam. And um, this is my design ethics statement. When I first started teaching design, I kept telling my students that they had to determine what their line was when they were deciding to be designers, and I thought I should have my own line. And so um, my ethics statement is to amplify the beauty of humanity with design while avoiding practices that exploit its fragility. And so when I'm thinking about design, when I'm leading teams, this is my North Star, and this is where I kind of decide whether I'm going to say no in my, in my line in the sand. And I think everybody should have one. Um, it's good for, for design, but it's also good to live by as well. So. If we're going to talk about artificial intelligence, a lot of people skip over this, and I'm going to start here. It's really about data. Every day, every minute, every second, we generate data. But I want you to remember something about this. All people create data, and all data is created by people. Repeat that. All people create data, and all data is created by people. And the reason why I say that is that people tend to forget in the land of ones and zeros that all of those data points, every social media post, every image, every uh, tweet is done by a person or has a person on the, who is affected by it. And I think it's really important to understand that we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data a day, and that data is used sometimes against us in models. And data is the love language of machine learning, but we must remember that data is not truth. It's only one shade of truth, right? And a lot of people use data in the creation of models as if it's the only truth. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about why data is not truth. Does anybody know what this is? It's an x-ray. Do you know the gender of the person in that x-ray? How about the race? Well, a machine learning model did. MIT students were training their model using data, and they used medical imaging to try to train a model to detect diseases. 
model got really good at detecting different types of diseases in the breast, in the, in the lungs, in the chest, but also began to spit out things like race and gender. Well, the students were dumbfounded because the the data that the model was trained on did not have labels of race or gender. So how did the model with accuracy predict from medical imaging the race and gender of these um, x-rays? Well, it turns out in the clinician notes that the physicians were writing, their unconscious bias showed through and models are exceedingly great at picking up patterns even when they're unconscious. Everything we do ends up in code. Everything we are ends up in code. There are no unbiased creations of machine learning or artificial intelligence, and the idea of an agnostic algorithm or objectivity in the AI is a myth. If a model can pick up our unconscious, subconscious thoughts on bias, it definitely can pick up our systematic biases that show up in our data. So let's not be mistaken about what happens when we use data that is generated by people into models. There is nothing in, in, in um, that there's nothing agnostic about that when it starts. So we have to acknowledge that bias will be in our models from the beginning. And I argue with mathematicians about this a lot of times, but there is no argument here. When people create data, they also infuse that data with what I call uh, trauma, traumatized data sets. Machine learning and AI models are often harmful to us and other groups because they are fruit of a tree poisoned by the trauma of history, culture, and society. And Sasha talked about this earlier. We are, our models are created from traumatized data sets and we have to de-traumatize them, otherwise they have traumatized outcomes. That's, that's, just, that's just truth. No argument about it for me. One of the biggest things that we do and one of the biggest sins that we put into our models is the sin of omission. So in America, when you go to apply for a bank loan, right, and they use data sets from, they use something called a FICA score, which came from an accountant in 1958, where women could not buy, could not, could not, uh, get loans on their own until 1970s. So now we're still using a FICO score from 1958 that did not include lots of women because they couldn't even apply for a loan. And so I, as a black woman, go to apply for a loan and that data set is already set against me. That's how it's institutionalized into um, uh, the sin of omission, not having um, black women in the data set that you're using to decide whether somebody gets a loan or not. There's also the, uh, the LGBTQ community in the United States, we have something called the census, which is the largest database in the world, where they weren't even counted until 2022, which meant that that group was not used to 
to consider uh, in housing and education and equitable and any type of grants. So the sin of omission to me is one of the biggest sins that we have in our traumatized data sets. And we have inequitable variables used. So think back to the mortgages. If you only had white men who are applying for mortgages and now you have black women applying for mortgages, since they're not even in there, the decision-making is over-indexed on white men. So that's how traumatized our systems can become when we start with traumatized data sets. We stuff models with traumatized data sets and that and then we expect no human harm. Well, of course, we get traumatized outcomes. So Data sets that are not representative leads to exclusionary practices and products. Um, my mom is always mad at Alexa because she comes from the South and Alexa doesn't understand her accent. Um, no non-binary choices for voices, discriminatory and inequitable model outcomes. We need to rethink how we use data. We need to rethink uh, who, what data sets we're using and what we're omitting when we're, when we're creating our data. And we need to think more in a human-centered um, uh, human design framework where we're looking at widening our narrative on the methodologies that we, in we include to do design. And part of my practice is design anthropology, which is co-participatory design, and bringing the people who you're designing for into the design process, as Sasha talked earlier about it. So here are some best practices. Now we're getting to the tactical for you guys. Um, when you're thinking about data and design, consider the people behind the data point. Always put a person in in, your, in the mix when you're thinking about design. This poor woman, uh, there's mapping software they were designing trying to pinpoint uh, different places using IPS scores where this mapping uh, uh, was used to model and it pinpointed this young, this uh, older lady's farmhouse as a place for IPS scores. So she had detectives showing up to her, to her door saying, this is the IPS address of the criminal. And she was like, no, no, I'm just an old farm lady. So you have to think about every data point has a person behind it. And so when you're designing, you have to figure out who are those people behind those data points. Always capture minimum viable data. Do you really need PII? Do you really need private information to feed into your model? Sometimes you don't. Also, um, balance what I call the give-get loop. If I am giving you my personal information, what do I get out of that Facebook, right? Is it balanced? Is a company's um, exchange of benefits for my data uh, equitable to the value of my data. Think about that. And, and then privacy by default. None of this long, yes, do you agree to this, six pages of acceptance and a checkbox. Make privacy iterative. Every time you go deeper into personal data, Ask for more consent. Make consent an iterative process and do privacy by default. You don't have to give away the farm just to use an app, right? And sometimes you don't even need that data for your app to provide a better experience. What is ML and AI really? Artificial intelligence is a category of intelligence system that perceives environment and takes actions that maximizes its chances of achieving its goal. 
this category includes machine learning, and machine learning is an application of AI. Machine learning uses past data to predict the future. This is very important. Um, it does not predict anything that hasn't been done in the past, right? We know that machine learning happens in our real world. Just like we can see, we can hear, we can speak. Machines have computer visions to see, uh, natural language processing like Alexa and Siri and Cortana, um, uh, a Google Voice, sorry, I used to work at Microsoft, and automation <laughs> and recommendation engine. This is how AI shows up in our, in our everyday life. This is the machine learning process. Again, data is collected, data is labeled. Uh, uh, Sasha mentioned Ghost Work, uh, a wonderful uh, book about how your artificial intelligent convenient experience is done by the labor of people who tell a machine that a car is a car. Um, these people get paid maybe $2 an hour for that labor. Nothing comes cheap in artificial intelligence. So data is collected, and it is engineered, and it is labeled. By definition, data is biased. We only measure what we think matters. So that biased information goes into it. We select an algorithm. It's built. We validate that through training, and then it's deployed. And then we monitor it. This is in the real world. But using ML and product design can have significant human engagement risks. There is no one bias. There's the data bias that we talked about in traumatized data sets. There's the training and mathematical and statistical bias that happens when you're trying to validate and train a model. And then there's, to me, the most important thing we need to consider, the cognitive biases. What happens when we as human intersect with machines? AI rewires our brain, y'all. You don't think, I tell my students, I give them an address, I say, go find it, and you can't use Google Maps. And they look at me like, how do you find something then? I was like, well, the sun sets in the, and it rises in the, and then north and south. Cognitive biases are our shortcut to life. It's how we decide and make decisions. We take heuristic shortcuts and we decide, oh, that's red, it's at the end of the light, that's a stop sign. Well, when machine learning, which is a doesn't do nuance well, intersects with us who take shortcuts on our thinking, disaster can happen. Things like automation bias. We check out and let the machine do all the work. Things like anchorance bias. If the machine tells us it's true first, then we believe it. Things like availability cascade. The thing that is in front of us is what we believe, and we tend not to look beyond that. And then confirmation bias. Machines are really good at serving us stuff that we already know and like. So we have to be really careful. And in mindful design, mindful AI is designed with human behavior in mind, understanding these biases, as well as collective human values and aspirations as a goal. So when you're designing with AI, you want to document and discover your data shortcomings. You want to determine how those shortcomings are going to affect the outcome of your model. And you want to decide if the applicability and desirability of AI is even there. 
that's not a given. Let's not fall into the rhetoric of technology inevitability. It doesn't always happen just because we can. You want to document the limitations of ML and AI in the design space. I tell my, my team, design to the limitation of the model, not the capability. You want to think about an anchor on serving the user with the, the experience, not yourself or the designer. And you want to anticipate uh, and monitor for unintended consequences, because that is where design needs to come in. Um, I'm just going to play this. I know I'm out of time, but I'm going to play this. I think this is good. This is the future rave sound. I'm getting lost in an underground. This is the future rave sound. I'm getting lost in an underground. Eminem, bro. There's something that I made as a joke, and it works so good, I could not believe it. I discovered those websites that are about uh, AI. Basically, you can write lyrics in the style of any artist you like. So I typed, write a verse in the style of Eminem about future rave. And I went to another AI website that can recreate the, vo the voice, I put the text in that, and I played the record, and people went nuts. He was wonderful, right? Like, that's the French da DJ David Guetta, and he was, like, so excited about that. But the fact is, that was not Eminem. And Eminem did not write that. And Eminem did not sing that. But you would never know that if he hadn't told you. And that's generative AI, and that's why people are afraid of it. A machine, generative AI are machine learning models that can generate novel and new content, images, video, text, just by learning the pattern and structure of their training data. But have no fear, Scott, yet, not yet. Generative AI is like a souped-up Mad Lib. It predicts the, 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 it predicts the blank, right? And so that's why it has what people call hallucinatory moments, because it's programmed to predict the next thing. And it doesn't care if it's right or wrong, because machines have no moral center. Do not look for them for truth. It's going to fill in that blank with whatever it knows. And that's why you can't check out on these machines. So when you're dealing with generative AI, some principles and pro tips, remember it has no moral center. You have to set it. So whatever your seven deadlies are, I don't know if you know George Carlin, but he used to talk about the seven things you can say on the radio. You have to decide that for the generative AI model. Decide what it cannot and won't do. If you don't do that, it will do and can do a lot of stuff that you don't want it to do. So you have to define it. Do harms modeling. Play through the scenario of how this technology can affect individuals and stakeholders at a physical, social, economic, and, and, and uh, cognitive level. Play through the whole scenarios. Adversarial tests. Hack that thing until you can't hack it anymore, just to make sure that it's not returning responses that you don't want it to return. Minimize anthropomorphism. I cannot say this more enough. Everybody already thinks these things are sentient. Minimize that in your design, because it's not necessary for the ex experience. And build in self-destruct 
content, actions, and outputs that stop the model from responding, and um, make sure that you assume that all the inputs that go into that model will become an output later. These are just some closing thoughts. <laughs> and I'm gonna get off, I'm gonna get off, I'm gonna get off. Thank you so much, and uh, I appreciate your time.